me introduce to you, uh, perhaps for the first time for some of you, but he's really family around here. Used to be on the staff here at KC Alaska, a man that uh, God used and family that God used, Pastor Jan and Pastor Barry, uh, here in the state of Alaska for, I think, 15 years. And uh, they pastored up in Bethel and pastored in Anchorage. And they are some of God's precious, precious people. And we are so blessed to really call you family and to have you here tonight, my very dear friends. Would you please put your hands together for Pastor Barry and Pastor Jan Haggerty. Amen. We're so glad to be here. I could take quite a bit of time to tell you all the reasons why I love this church, but let's just say I do. You know, not a week goes by that I don't pray for this house. Every Sunday morning when I'm up early getting ready for our church service, I'm praying for this service. Sometimes the Lord will give me a word for Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen, and I'll text it to him. And uh, when we got here Wednesday night, we were driving around. Barry and I just started praying the Spirit. We said such great things. And for the last few weeks, the Lord has spoken to my heart this word for this church. And I'm just going to take a few minutes. But he spoke to me and he said, tell him I am not coming for a visitation. That I am coming for a habitation. Mm -hmm. And all of Ephesians chapter 2 would apply to this body. But it says, consequently... You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and of Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together with and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. And in that, I did a little reading about the history of the valley. We used to live in the Butte. So I already knew the history of Palmer. But both of them are significant. The history of Palmer, it was an economic stimulus project during the Great Depression. And 400 families from northwest states were planted here for rebirth. Not only in their own lives, but in the lives of the land. Wasilla was the crossroads. Coming and going. Coming and going. And when you put that together, that makes a beautiful package. And I just want to encourage you, if you are here in this church, for whatever time and season you have, please, please take advantage. You will not find... A seminary that's going to give you more, and it'll cost you way more money. You will not find another revival movement where you're going to have more opportunity to plug into the presence of God and to discipleship as you can have here at KC Wasilla. This is not a lightweight move of God. It is not a lightweight church. It is a life-changing forever transforming for you, for your family, for your marriage, for the destiny and the future generations to come behind you. And I just encourage you 
with the word encouragement. Like kick you in the tail. Please take advantage. Don't get offended. Don't be nitpicking. Go after God here because you will meet him. This church means a lot to us. When we were here, it was a season of restoration for our family. I want to share a testimony. So some of you remember I had a lot of back issues. Anybody remember that? A few of you prayed for me. Okay, so many years ago, 1998, I was in a car wreck in Fairbanks, Alaska. And after that, I was just never the same. And it just kept getting worse and worse. I had three back surgeries in three years. I was diagnosed with Shorgan syndrome. It's an autoimmune disease. I was diagnosed with, oh, thank you. With fibromyalgia, whatever that is. I was diagnosed with um, degenerative disc disease. And I would do all these right things. And it seemed like if I tried to go for a walk, I'd just hurt myself. And the more I tried to do, the worse it seemed to get. And then when we moved out, I've been told by more doctors than I want to tell you, you have arthritis in your back like you're in your 70s. And I always want to go, thanks, because that doesn't really help me at all. And I felt like being a crippled was sucking me into the ground. I'm just being honest. It was a struggle. I am a mom of six kids. I'm a pastor's wife, and I'm fairly young. And I was so frustrated, and it stole my joy. And there would be times, and when you hurt all the time, it's depressing. There would be times people would pray for me, even here, and I would feel a little bit better And then it it would fall back on me. So I began to think, Lord, there's a a missing piece here. And I know it ain't with you. I mean, it's not. It has to be with me. And I want you to show me. And so I began to um, work harder at becoming a disciple. And you know that verse that says, I have it somewhere. Book of John. You shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. I want to tell you something. There's a verse. It says, then you shall know the truth. And the truth will set you free. I want to tell you what it says right before the then. Okay. It's John. I have it right here. 8, 31 and 32. And I'm not chastising. I'm challenging. I'm thankful for health care. I'm th- I'm thankful, 31, 32, okay, 31, and then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free, but go back to the verse right before that, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you will hold to my teaching, and are really my disciples, then you shall know the truth. And the truth shall set you free. And I I began to say, God, I'm missing something in my discipleship. So I picked up this book by Joyce Myers called Battlefield of the Mind. And I read it, and it wrecked me. But I'm a really leaky disciple, so I had to read it again. And I still didn't get it. And I read it again. And it talks about that I don't have to believe every stupid thought that comes through my mind. And I began to understand that when I got saved, yes, my sins were washed away, but my brain was still not totally where it needed to be. And I needed to plug in harder to the Word. And I'm going to tell you something. Logic will kill your faith. 
Sometimes the worst thing that happens to us in our faith is from here up. I'm going to share one more thing. I'm a nurse. I got more head knowledge than most. And I believe God has anointed the healthcare system. And I believe he's anointed our justice system. And I believe he's anointed our banking system. And I believe he's anointed your employment. But you are not to park there. It is not the answer. It's a tool that the power of God can use to get you from point A to point B. But we are very indulged in America with a lot of resources. And so we park there because that's a whole lot easier than disciplining our minds to follow the word of God. So I had read the book three times and I was teaching a life group for a fourth time. And we had this little prophet guy named John Harkey come to our church. And he prophesied over me and he prophesied really about my role in our church. And at the very end, he said, oh, and the Lord knows right now you couldn't stand up and preach or minister for an hour. Little be known to him, after those services, I limped home. I could barely walk. I took pain meds occasionally. I took muscle relaxers. I took some arthritis med. I took, I took, I took. And I felt bad the whole time because I was always like, God, I know this is not the abundant life that you have promised me. Psalm 16, it says, this is my verse, and I'm sharing it with you. It says, the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And I used to think, this is not delightful, nor is it pleasant. Something's amiss here. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night, my heart instructs me. I will keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart became glad. My tongue rejoiced. And my body rested secure. So, and I am not condemning you for going to the doctor. I'm a nurse. Y'all heard that part, right? I'm a nurse. I believe in health care. I believe it's a great tool. Just a tool, though. Because there is by one name where you will be saved, delivered, set free, and healed. So at the end of that little prophecy, it was a big prophecy, he said, oh, by the way, the Lord's going to heal you. And I had been going to the gym and swimming, and the next day I could swim twice as much, and I slept really good. And I was like, and it was his last night, and I was like, there's something to this. Within a week, I was swimming a half a mile every day. And I have been totally set free. I will tell you. For those of you who have never lived with chronic pain or seen someone live, this is what it was like for me. When I would turn over at night in bed, it was more like I had sunburn. I had to get up and turn over. I couldn't roll. That hurt. I couldn't get the pots and pans out of the cabinet. I couldn't pull the laundry out of the washing machine. I could go, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't. Now I can, I can, I can, I can. I have to, I have to re remind my family all the time, no, I can do that. I'm healed now. I asked one of the kids, I said, can you tell a difference? She goes, yeah, you're not as cranky. I said, well, okay. <laughs> fair, fair enough, I'm not as cranky. And there have been days I have had to contend for it. I told Barry, it feels like when you go to a hotel and you're trying to pull the sheets up and they're really stuck 
And if you tug and you tug, well, I'm tugging and tugging, and that scripture in Psalms is my tug. And it's getting easier and easier. So we flew here from Phoenix. I went from Flagstaff climate to Phoenix climate to Alaska climate. We've climbed the Butte. We went to Thunderbird Falls. I have had zero pain. Better yet, I have not taken a pain pill this year. I have not taken a muscle relaxer this year. I have not taken arthritis medicine this year. I threw it in the trash can. I don't say any of this to condemn anybody that's struggling. I say to you, he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he will guide you and lead you if you don't grow weary in well-doing. And just keep going, keep seeking him, but be discipled. And then the truth will come. Yeah. Is, um, is Maylene in here? Maylene. Can I give you a word? Can you come over here? Or I'll come over there. I wrote a little bit down for you. The Lord spoke to me and he said, I have placed upon this young lady a Psalms 23 anointing. And I asked him what he meant by that. And he said, you will lead people to quiet streams. You will lead them to green pasture. You will help them to renew their strength. You will help them to do what honors him the most. Even when they're walking through dark valleys of death, they won't be afraid because you will lead them to the Father. And the Lord said to me, he said, and encourage her that her gifting sometimes in a place of dynamic, she may not feel dynamic. And the father says, no, no, don't think for a minute that that little gift of Psalms 23 is a weak warrior. Because the father says, it's a warrior of might and power that can stand in the face of my enemy and be at rest. But it's a leader warrior that can stand in the face of the enemy and help others to be at rest. And so if there's been any doubt recently of your place or of your calling, Dismiss those thoughts because God says that you are a warrior anointed to leave others to those quiet streams so that he can minister to them. And it takes a supernatural anointing to quiet down a freaked out person. And he's placed that on you. I'd like to pray for you. Father, I just pray right now for Maylene and in this next season, in these next days. Father, I pray a Holy Ghost unction and boldness upon her, Father God, to begin to call people to the best places in you, to begin to speak into their lives with a new sense of boldness, Lord, that she does carry the one true answer for all of humanity, that you have laid upon her the anointing of a leader. She is going to lead people into quiet places. She is anointed to take them at rest in the midst of the storm. Lord, and in those places, you will be able to minister to them. But, Father, I pray over these next weeks and days and months that you will strengthen her heart, that she will find a Holy Ghost desire to speak your truth as never before, Father.
I pray you provide for every need, that you surround her with godly people that will continue to encourage her and challenge her and give her opportunity and room to grow. And we thank you that your hand is upon this young lady, that she has consecrated herself to you, Lord God. And we just agree, Father, that there is great and mighty things coming in the decades ahead of this young lady and her ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Where's Danny? Danny, I can't see because of the lights. Danny, I want to give you a word, but I want you to come by your mom. I want to give a little teaching. I have six kids, so I can do that now. Um, the oldest is 28. The next one's 23. Then we have one that's 18. We have one that's 15, one that's 14, and one that's 12. We have two boys, four girls. Five chickens, one rabbit, two cats, and a dog. Two granddaughters. We've homeschooled, private school, public school, just get them schooled. But more important, get them schooled in God because it's way more important than anything that institution is going to ever teach your child. Come on, y'all. know that's true. So, Danny, I've been thinking about you the last couple weeks because I knew I was coming. I like Danny. I like Danny Boy, but I don't know if he's still Danny Boy because he's getting big. Okay, Danny Boy. Uh, I saw that the Lord said in the Bible, um, Samson had a, yes, yes. Samson had a Nazarite vow, and that was where he set apart and refrained from certain things that were acceptable all through culture for a season of time or even for a whole lifetime for the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me that Danny's always had a vow upon his life, that it was placed by the Father. And in your vow, you vow, God vows, that you always dwell in his glory. That all you will know is the glory of God. The Lord said even the geographical locations that you have lived, Hawaii of your birth and Alaska of your raising, show some of the best of the glory of God and his beauty. And there have been some things in your life that have seemed maybe a hindrance. And God says, Danny, they're not hindrances. Because my measure and what I do is different than what the culture or the world does. And in some ways, those have protected you from going outside of that place. Karen, you said yes to God about raising this boy tenderly before the Father when maybe there were times others didn't understand or you had to go against the flow. But the Lord says you've done good. And he told me, Danny, all you're going to know is the glory of God. And your generation is seeking information faster than they can take in, looking for answers, and they're going to burn out. And you are going to open your mouth as a man of God, being formed behind the glory cloud and say, Oh, taste and see that my Lord God, he is good. And you will be a, a spokesperson to your generation that says it doesn't matter about that and that and that. Because all I know is that my Lord God is a good God. And there is no hindrance in your life. There is no hindrance. It's a lie. It's a lie. I'm going to pray for Danny. Father God, I thank you for Danny Bracken. I thank you, Lord, that you have hidden him behind the cloud of your glory. I thank you, Lord God that he is going to declare to the generation of my children and my grandchildren the goodness of God. Father, we pray even now, God, that you would continue to protect him, that you would give him a confidence of who he is in you, that you would deliver him from every lie of the enemy that would plague him with feeling inadequate or not quite enough. Father, because he is a man of God in the making.
Lord, I pray as he emerges in these next few years that he will have a bold mouthpiece, Lord. And he will declare your goodness with humor and sweetness, Father, that is on his spirit to men and women and boys and girls. And through his life and through the words that you will give him to speak, Danny is going to lead many, many people to Christ. And he is going to lead many, many to be set free. And there will be nothing to hold him back. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Keep that rolling. Because I got a word for this young lady. Hannah, the Lord wants you to know that the personality he placed in you, the personality that seems strong sometimes, it was there at your birth. That fighting spirit that you fought to live is from the Lord. And it is no wonder that you fight for what's right and you fight for the truth and you fight for justice because God put that spirit in you. With that comes some tempering, but not tempering to weaken the message. You can temper metal that's used to be swords and weapons of warfare, and you temper them to actually strengthen them, not to weaken what they're able to do. And the Lord, will there will be a tempering in your life. And it's a good thing, because it will actually make you stronger. And just like a sword, the Bible is called a two-edged sword. Just like a two-edged sword, you can cut both ways with it, and just like the message of the gospel, a two-edged sword, it not only cuts out sin, but as it cuts out sin, it also cuts and applies grace. And as you are tempered before the Lord to strengthen your will and strengthen your resolve and strengthen your spirit, you will be able to deliver the truth of the message that will cause sin to be forgiven and grace to be applied to people's lives. I want to pray for you. Father God, I lay hands upon this young lady. I'm so thankful, God, for all that you've done. And Lord, in so many ways, the enemy has fought hard against this one. But Lord, you have placed within her everything she needs to stand strong and true. And Lord, in these coming years, as she <laughs> continues to step into her own strong relationship with you and her own strong ministry and calling, God, you will continue to equip her. And Lord, you will bless where she goes. And Lord, you will take her places she's never dreamed. And she will proclaim the truth of the gospel and the love of Jesus and the grace of our Lord to all who will listen and to many who don't want to. And we thank you, Lord, in your name. Amen. Amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen. It is a privilege, as my wife has said, to be back here. So thankful to Pastor Daniel and Pastor Karen. As a pastor of a church, you don't give up your pulpit easily. You don't just let anybody come and, and minister to your people. You're a shepherd. You've got to watch over them. And so I, I don't take it for granted that, that I've been given this opportunity. I'm so thankful to the Lord for, for what He's doing in this place. Just a real quick little background before I get into uh, the Word tonight. 
uh, as, as Pastor Daniel said, many of you know us, many of you don't. Uh, Pastor Jan and I have been in Flagstaff, Arizona. It is the only place in Arizona this uh, Alaska boy, <laughs> even though I wasn't born here, would live. Uh, 7,000 feet above sea level, we get 100 inches of snow every year, beautiful pine forest, mountains, uh, gorgeous weather, 70s and 80s as the high, 40s and 50s as the low. Uh, it's, it's gorgeous. I, I cannot stand to go to Phoenix. As my wife has said, there is hot and then there is Phoenix hot. Uh, now, we don't have that in Flagstaff, uh, but we've been in uh, Flagstaff for three years now. Uh, we are pastoring uh, Breath of Life Church. Uh, in Flagstaff, uh, prophetically spoken, uh, that we would be a breath of life into northern Arizona. I ask you to pray for us. Remember Breath of Life Church. Remember Pastor Barry and Pastor Jan. Remember Flagstaff in northern Arizona. We need a revival. We need a revival. We need an outpouring of God's Spirit upon that region of our nation. And we're so thankful that God has called us to be there. Now, having said all that, no regrets that I'm there. I love my city. But if, if, if I had to be somewhere else besides Flagstaff, if I had to be a part of some other church, if I had to be what, a place where God is doing stuff, as my wife has said, it would be right here. And if you don't know how blessed you are to have this couple as your pastors, you should. They are some of our dearest friends. We, we consider them family and uh, we love them dearly, and we're just so thankful to be able to be here uh, tonight. Take your Bibles, if you would. Stand for the reading of God's Word. Turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 37. I have a message for you tonight that I, I want to share with you. Genesis, chapter 37. They're going to put it up on the screen. I'm actually reading from, I have several versions, so I have to look. The New International Version. Uh, so if you have that version back there, guys, that'll be easier to follow along. If not, uh, you'll get the gist of it. But Genesis chapter 37, familiar passage of Scripture, but uh, some great truths in it that I know the Lord is going to give to us tonight. I'll get there. You guys are there ahead of me. Hallelujah. Genesis chapter 37, we'll begin in verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. And he made a richly ornamented robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Verse 5, Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Verse 8, his brother said, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Verse 9 says, Listen, he said, I had another dream. This time the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now verse 12. 
Now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. So he said to him, Go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks, and bring word back to me. And then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, What are you looking for? Verse 16. He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They moved on from here, the man said. I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him from a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Verse 19, here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what will come of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. Verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and they threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Verse 26 says, And, Judas, and Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let us sell him to Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this opportunity. We have to be in your presence tonight. And I ask, Lord, that as we look into your word, that you would cause your word to come alive. Your word is alive. Your word is truth. Your word has the ability to change us. And that's what we ask tonight, Lord, that we are changed by an encounter with you and your precious holy word in your great name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. There's another passage from Genesis chapter 41. I want to read real quick. You don't have to turn there, but you can write the reference down if you want. Genesis 41, beginning in verse 41, it says, See here, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I place you in authority over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his own hand and put it on Joseph's. He clothed him with fine linen clothes and put a gold chain around his neck. Pharaoh made him ride in the chariot used by his second-in-command, and they cried out before him, Kneel down. So he placed over him, placed him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your permission, no one will move his hand or his foot in all the land of Egypt. I believe God has a word for each and every one of you here tonight. You know, if you come to church because that's what you do, growing up, that's what I did. I went to church because that's what it, what it was to do. We went to church. And if you come to church because that's what it is that you do, that's good. But if you come to church to meet with Jesus, to be, have an encounter with Him, to, to ha be changed by His Word, then that's better, church. And I believe God has a word for all of you here tonight. Now, I don't know about you, but I haven't always enjoyed reading. Maybe you do. Have you, have you read any good books lately? That's a rhetorical question. You don't have to answer that. But books have a great way of transporting us 
to faraway places and putting us in the middle of situations and circumstances that we might not have otherwise thought about. When you read a good book, sometimes it's hard to put it down. Now, God's Word, the written Word, has been put into book form. It's called the Bible. It's very important. In fact, it's the most important book that there is. And I encourage you to pick up a copy of God's book and give it a read every once in a while. In fact, I'd say read it daily and watch where it will take you. Amen? In God's book, Psalm 139 14 through 16, it tells us this I will give you thanks because your deeds are awesome and amazing. You know me thoroughly. My bones were not hidden from you when I was made in secret and sewed together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw me when I was inside the womb. All the days ordained for me were recorded in your scroll before one of them came into existence. 2 Corinthians 3, 2 says, You yourselves are our letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. Do you understand that that speaks to me? That our lives are books that God has and is writing. Think about that for a moment. Your life, my life, is a book that people can read. Now, for some of you, that you might feel good about that. Some might not feel so good about that. Because the truth is, God is the only real, rightful author of our life story. But sometimes we try to write it ourselves. Sometimes it doesn't always work out so good because we try to take control. But you know what I'm thankful for? I'm thankful for Holy Ghost editing. I'm glad for some rewrites. I'm glad that some of my great uh, moments and decisions, my not-so-great moments and decisions, have been removed from the rough draft. And the final copy is still being written by the author and the finisher of your faith and my faith. Church, I'm trying to tell you, our story isn't complete yet. God is still writing our life for us. And actually, it says in Psalm 139, God's already written our life. You know, when, when they make movies, I've shared this illustration. I don't think I've shared it here. But when they make movies, they don't start filming the movie at the opening credits and film it all straight to the end closing credits. They film it in different segments. And a lot of times they'll film the final act, the very final part, the closing, you know, cliffhanger moment of the movie. They'll film that before they ever film the beginning. And you, when you think about that, you can understand God's already been to the end of your life. Because he's already written it. He's already designed it. You were handcrafted. I was handcrafted. Before we ever breathed a breath, God already had a destiny for every one of us. And he intends for you and I to line up and follow the book that he has written. The book of our life. There are volumes of books. There are libraries in heaven. And on the shelves are the books of your life and my life. God is doing everything he can to cause his will and his plan to unfold for us. Sometimes we tend to get discouraged and downcast because we can't see the past the chapter of our life that we're in in the moment. Kind of like our text. Joseph is a great story from the Bible. The text that I read, that's just part of the story of Joseph's life. Anybody reading the story of Joseph can come to the same conclusion. Joseph was anointed. 
He was favored by God. He was definitely favored by his earthly father. And Joseph had a God-given destiny and dream over his life. But the truth is, the same Joseph who was so anointed and had so many things in his life that were in his favor, he also had some bad chapters in his life. When you think about the, uh, the idea of our life being a book and there being chapters in our lives, a chapter you could define it as any distinct period in history or in a person's life. A series of related events forming an episode and a sequence of events that are related and likely to continue. Joseph experienced some bad chapters in his life. He was hated by his brothers. He was betrayed by his brothers. He was rejected by his brothers. He was stripped of his coat of many colors by his brothers. And he was thrown into a pit and left to die. That was a bad chapter in Joseph's life. If we, if we fast forward through Joseph's life to the, to the ending where we know it turned out good and he was in a rightful place that he was supposed to be, second in command, living in the palace, having all the, the wealth and the riches of Egypt at his disposal. A lot of us would like to have that chapter. We'd like to get to the good part. We'd like to get to the blessing. We'd like to get to the, Lord, I finally arrived. But not too many of us want to go through the bad chapters. Not too many of us want to go through the pit. But you got to understand, for Joseph, he had to go through the pit in order to get to the palace. Some of you might be feeling like you're in the pit right now. Can I tell you, it's just a chapter. It's just a chapter. Now, we might agree with Joseph that in this particular part in his life, it was a bad chapter, a sad chapter, that Joseph probably shed a few tears in this chapter. Like I said, some of you might be feeling like that's where you are. Some of you might even feel like you've been lied on, you've been rejected, you've been stripped of, your, of, of what you thought was precious to you, you've been betrayed, you've been hurt, abused, beat down, beat up, knocked down, and thrown into a pit and left to die. But I got a word for somebody tonight. You're going to disappoint some people. You ain't dying in the pit. God's got a different plan. You might feel like you're in the pit. It may, everything around you may say, pit, this is Pittsville. God, I don't want to be in this pit. Why am I in this pit? And there are people that have watched you go into that pit. They might have even pushed you over into that pit. They might be speaking prophetic words that aren't from God that are causing you to be in that pit. And they are just sitting back having a meal like his brothers waiting on, him, waiting on you to die. But you're going to disappoint him because you're not going to die in the pit. You're not going to stay in the pit because the pit isn't the final destination for you. God wants me to prophesy to you tonight. There's a new chapter coming. It doesn't matter what chapter you're in. There's a new chapter coming for you. What looked like and felt like a, a sad end is just making room for a new chapter. Now see, some chapters in a book are long and some are short. Some chapters in a book are, are happy and some are sad. Some chapters make you laugh and some chapters make you cry. But whether or not the chapter's long or short, happy or sad, all chapters have one thing in common. They end so the next one can begin. Some of you are going to get a hold of this tonight. God wants you to know tonight, His message to you tonight, is that you may have had a bad chapter in your life, 
but it's not over. Your story is bigger than one chapter. God's plan for you, God's book of your life that he wrote for you is so much bigger than one chapter. And so don't get stuck in the chapter you're in. Understand, that chapter will end, and when it does, there's a brand new one. When the page turns, it's a brand new chapter. It's a brand new day. And the best is yet to come, church. Now I want to stop and say something right here. Never judge a person by a bad chapter in their life. You know why? Because we all got them. We all got them. Don't judge somebody. Listen, my, the, my last chapter may have been long and sad, but don't try to finish my story based on one bad chapter. Aren't you thankful tonight? Is somebody glad that you're not in that bad chapter anymore? As bad as it might be where you used to be, you ain't there no more. You have moved on to the next chapter. Amen? If you looked at Joseph in the pit, or let's say Daniel in the lion's den, or Jonah in the belly of the whale, or the three Hebrew uh, children in the fiery furnace, and you didn't see the next chapter after those, it might look like their story ended there. But that was just a chapter, maybe a bad chapter, but it was just a chapter in their lives. And I'm glad that uh, my life is bigger than just one chapter and one bad chapter. I want to remind somebody tonight, Joseph went into the pit, but he came out and got to the palace. Daniel came out of the lion's den with all his fingers and toes intact. The three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, came out of the fiery furnace, and they got promoted. Jonah came out of the belly of the whale, and he preached a revival, and 120,000 people got right with God. Come on. Don't judge people by their chapter. Don't judge me. Don't judge your pastor. Don't judge your neighbor by the chapter they're in if it's a bad chapter, because you're going to come through that chapter. <laughs> You might have felt the fire like the three Hebrew boys did. You might even, right now in your life, be hearing the growling of the lions. Or you might feel like you're in the belly of a whale and God is millions of miles away. Or maybe it's been a long chapter, like the woman with the issue of blood who suffered 12 long years till her chapter changed. Or maybe it could be even one of those extended, extra long chapters that seemed like it was never going to end, like the man at the pool of Bethesda who suffered for 38 years. But one day, one encounter with Jesus, the King of Kings, caused his page to turn and his chapter became brand new again. Somebody say new chapter. Amen. God wants you to know you have the opportunity tonight when you leave this place to begin walking in a brand new chapter that he has prepared for you. In fact, I got a message. I got a word from the Lord for this church. Because this church is on the precipice of a brand new chapter. I, I, I saw the blueprints. And I couldn't help but just rejoice. There was just stuff inside me turning Holy Ghost cartwheels as I looked at the blueprints for the new building. As, as you're headed to the property and the new building, I have a word for this body tonight. And I need to set the stage just a little bit. 
I, I was thinking about this and praying as we were coming to Alaska and, and Pastor Daniel said, I want you to preach Sunday night. I began thinking, Lord, I want to I deliver your word. And he said, yeah, you're going to deliver my word, but I want you to give a specific word concerning this next chapter for this body. Nehemiah had a, uh, if you know the story, Nehemiah had a burden that just tore him apart, that his city, the walls were in ruins, the gates were burned, and he, 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 he couldn't help it. It showed on his face. So the king that he served in captivity gave him permission to go back and rebuild. And you can read it in the book of Nehemiah. He went back and they rebuilt. And despite opposition, despite discouraging words that were said, despite uh, criticism, despite lies that were spoken, Nehemiah and the people, because they had a mind to work, rebuilt the walls in a record 52 days. The first part of this word for this church is, I know the time frame you're believing, but from the time the ground breaks until you have your first service, it's gonna, people are going to marvel at how quickly it went, how fast it's going to go. Because God is in this, and the people have a mind to work. But here's the second part of that word. Because this is something you can miss in the whole story of Nehemiah if you don't pay real close attention. There were people that came and tried to, they tried to lure Nehemiah out of the city for secret meetings to, have to discuss what was going on. And then they went and spread rumors and went and told the king, do you know what Nehemiah is doing? Do you realize the permission you've given him, what, the liberty he's taken? And one of those guys, his name was Sanballat, and the other guy's name was Tobiah. And after everything was done and the law, the book of the law was read and Ezra pr prayed and people consecrated themselves in the temple and the walls were built and everything was looking good, Nehemiah went back to King Artaxerxes to kind of report in. And an interesting thing happened in Nehemiah chapter 13, if you read about it. It says that while Nehemiah was away, he got a disturbing report. And the disturbing report was this, that... One of the priests who had become friends with Tobiah, who had been one of the ones trying to stop the building, had gone into the temple and cleared out a room. And in, in fact, I want to read it. It's so important. It's so important. Nehemiah 13 verse 4 says, Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms of the house of God. He was closely associated with Tobiah, and he had provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine, and oil prescribed for the Levites, singers, and gatekeepers, as well as the contributions for the priest. Do you get the picture? One of the very ones that was out to stop what God was doing realized that ain't going to happen. So he snuck in. Now, Tobiah, his name means the goodness of God. And here's what the Lord said, and it's not a rebuke, it's an encouragement. In the temple, there were these storerooms, and they were used to store articles of worship and, and things used in the sacrifice and, and the tithe and what was given. And the priest cleared it all out to make room for the goodness of God. 
And Nehemiah, when he found out, he showed up. And it says, if you read it, that he went into that room and he threw all of Tobiah's stuff out and put all the articles of worship and all the articles of sacrifice and the tithe and the offerings back in their rightful place. And here's the word of the Lord. As you guys build this, as you move into the next chapter, one of the things that marks this house is prayer and worship and sacrificial giving and giving unto the Lord and living your lives as an offering before God. And the word of the Lord is, do not give in to pushing that aside for the goodness of God. Because it's sacrifice and it's worship and it's sacrificial giving and it's living holy lives before God that is what is going to cause the revival that has been spoken and believed and prophesied over this region to happen. The goodness of God we need. It is His kindness that leads us to repentance. But just like your pastor preached this morning, miracles, signs, and wonders, they don't come just because of the goodness of God. They come because they follow after people who believe. And people who believe are willing to live a life of sacrifice. Sacrifice financially. Sacrifice praise in worship. And so the new chapter for this church is don't quit doing what you're doing because what you're doing has got you to this point and just watch what God does as he unfolds the blessings that come forth from this house now back to Joseph Joseph was a dreamer God had made him that way and God wants all of us to be dreamers don't be afraid to dream church come on God wants to give us bigger dreams than we think we can handle. That's why it's called faith. If you can do it in your own strength, if you can work it up, if you can make it up, if you can figure it all out, that's not faith. That's talents, that's gifts, that's abilities. But faith says, God, you've given me a dream that it just is impossible for me. But God, nothing is impossible for you. So God wants us to dream big dreams. More than we think we can handle. And he wants us to dream with him. But you know what the devil wants to do is to kill the dreamer in you. The devil knows if he can kill the dreamer in you, then you won't be a threat to him anymore. You stop dreaming dreams for God. You stop daring to dream that God wants to do something with you and through you and in you. And you won't be a threat to the enemy anymore. God told me tonight to share with you, I need to wake up the dreamer in some of you guys. I need to speak to the destiny that God put in you. I need to speak to the anointing that is in your belly because it says out of our bellies will flow rivers of living water, the anointing of the Lord. Some of you need the embers and the, and the, 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 fan, the flame to be fanned tonight. Some of you need to get rid of hopelessness. Some of you need to get rid of discouragement. Some of you need to get rid of despair. Some of you need to cast out fear and disappointment and disillusionment. And I think while I'm preaching right now, some of you are beginning to feel it rise up in you. God, I can dream again. God, there's a new chapter. It's not over yet. Listen, it's not, it's, it's not over. The, the, the large lady hasn't begun to sing yet. God is telling us it ain't over yet, church. The best is yet to come.
Joseph got, Joseph got stripped. I was just, I'm just trying to be nice. Joseph got stripped of his coat of, of, of many colors, that special thing that he had. Some of you may have gotten stripped of your job because that was your identity. Some of you may have gone through a bad divorce. Some of you may have lost your house. You may have lost your health. You may have lost your peace. You may have lost your joy. You may have lost your faith for a while. You may have been in places and done things that you knew you were wrong. You may have let anger and resentment and hatred and unforgiveness fill your heart. But you know what? That was last chapter. Come on, everybody say last chapter. I'm prophesying to you tonight through the Word of God. There's a new chapter opening up for you as an individual and for this congregation. And you need to get ready for it. You're going to look good in your new chapter. You're going to look good in your new anointing. You're going to look good in your new clothes. The Bible says that praise adorns His people. In fact, praise looks good on you. As you step into that new chapter. You, it, <laughs> the pit... People may see you in the pit, but that's the last chapter. That was just a temporary inconvenience because the Bible says Joseph dreamed again. Listen, he got thrown in the pit. He got betrayed. He had everything that was important to him taken from him. It looked like there was no hope. It looked like it was down to uh, the, this is the final chapter of periods about to be put on this thing, and it's going to be over. But through it all, he didn't, he didn't give up on God. And the Bible says he dreamed again. Joseph said, I have dreamed a bigger dream. I've dreamed more. Somebody's going to dream again today. And you're not just going to dream again. You're going to dream more. You're going to come out of your pit. You're going to come out of the fiery furnace. You're going to come out of the lion's den. You're going to come out of hopelessness. You're going to come out of despair. You're going to come out of disappointment. Because guess what? It wasn't Joseph's coat of many colors that brought him out of the pit. It wasn't his dreams that brought him out of the pit. And I know it will come as a surprise to some, but it wasn't his anointing that brought him out of the pit. You know what it was? It was his attitude of praise to God. Now I can imagine when Joseph showed up, and his brothers, and I don't know how long I have, and I'll go, I'll go till the Holy Spirit says stop, but I promise I won't be lengthy. I won't be eternal. But I want you to stay with me because there's some things that you need to get from this. I can imagine when Joseph showed up and his brothers started to grab him and pull that coat off. I'm sure he was probably shocked and surprised and wondering what was going on. And is this some kind of new game that we as brothers are playing? Is this, is this hide and seek or tag you're it and I'm it? I don't know what's going on. And next thing he knows, he finds himself in the pit. But we don't hear. Uh, it's not recorded in Scripture that while he was down in the pit, he said, God, I give up. I ain't dreaming again. You gave me these dreams. Because see, Joseph, he was just doing what he was created to do. God put him a, in him a dream spirit, a dreamer spirit. And all he did is dream the dreams and share his dreams with everybody. He wasn't doing anything wrong. He was doing what God caused him, called him to do. And he finds himself in the pit. But while in the pit, he didn't sit down there like the old hee-haw show. I just dated myself. I reached, I reached, two, I reached two milestones this year. I turned 50 years old and I celebrated my 30th wedding anniversary. Hallelujah. Love you, sweetheart. But I just dated myself. The old hee-haw show. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. 
deep, dark depression, excessive misery. If it weren't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Gloom, despair, and agony on me. We don't see, it's not recorded in Scripture that Joseph adopted that as his theme song. He kept his heart right. He kept his attitude right. He kept his mind focused on what God had said. Because, you know, it's no, it's no coincidence that I read you Genesis chapter 41. Because Gen- Genesis chapter 37, Joseph shared his dreams. And in his dreams, he was exalted and everybody was bowing down. Well, guess what? That prophecy came true. Genesis chapter 41, he was exalted to a place of leadership, second in command to the king of the most powerful army and nation at that time. What God has intended, what God has destined, if we'll keep our attitude right, if we'll keep focused on what's true, if we won't give in to depression and fear, and we'll keep moving forward, can I tell you, it will come to pass. It was his attitude, it was his praise that got him out of the pit. Isaiah 61.3 says, Put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, the oil of joy for mourning, and beauty for ashes. Psalm 34.1 says, I will bless the Lord at all times. David said, His praise shall continually be in my mouth. From the rising of the sun to the going down of the same, the name of the Lord is to be praised. And I want to remind you of one more, and it's one, of my most, it's one of my favorite stories. Pastor alluded to it a little bit. Paul and Silas thrown into jail. Again, doing what they were supposed to do. God had, God had wrecked Saul's life and transformed him. And Silas had partnered up with him, and they were preaching and sharing Jesus, and they get arrested, and they get stripped of their clothes, and they get beaten, and then they get thrown under the jail. I mean, down in the dungeon of the jail, and they're in chains down there. And you know the story. It says about midnight. Now, you need to understand something. Most places, not always in Alaska in the summertime, but most places, midnight is the darkest point of the night. Because at 12.01, it's now becoming morning. So it's at about midnight, something began to happen. Now, I'm kind of crazy, in case you can't tell, and I have a real vivid imagination about the things of the Word of God. I don't add to it. And I don't take away from it. I just think of it kind of weird sometimes. But I can imagine and picture in my mind in this dungeon, if you've ever been in a cave or you've ever been in a tunnel and you say a word, it echoes. I mean, the earth and the the dungeon and all that, it would be a natural sound system, if you will. And I believe about midnight it says, Paul and Silas are sitting there. And you know what? They didn't give in to the hee-haw spirit either. Because they could have. Because Silas could have looked at Paul and said, You know, if I wouldn't have met you, if I wasn't on this trip with you, I probably wouldn't be here. 
And Paul didn't look at Silas and say, well, you know, if you wouldn't have said what you said, you probably wouldn't have made them so mad. So we're down here because of you. And Silas told back, no, we're down here because of you. They weren't doing any of that. I believe about midnight. <laughs> Silas, looked at, Silas looked at Paul said, Brother Paul, Paul said, yes, Brother Silas. Brother Paul, I feel a song coming on in my spirit. Paul said, well, Brother Silas, I feel it too. What song do you feel? Silas said, Brother Paul, I feel like what David said in Psalms 30. His anger endures for a moment, but his joy comes in the morning. Brother Paul said, I got one better than that, Brother Silas. Jeremiah said in Lamentations, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies, oh, they will never come to an end. And as those two begin to praise, as those two begin to sing praise, as they begin to say, oh, thank you, Jesus, that I can count myself worthy to be beaten for the gospel. Lord, I know you work all things for good. Paul said, yeah, i got to put that in a letter later on. You work all things together for good. And as they begin to sing, man, it began to echo. And there was something to begin to build. And everybody, I mean, there was, other, there was other people in that prison. And they were probably thinking, what in the world is that? Some of them who had been there a long time says, man, I heard a lot of stuff being said and screamed and shouted in this prison, but I ain't never heard the praises of the Lord like that. And they began to praise, and it began to build, and there was a rumble that began to come out of that bottom of that prison. And all of a sudden, God sent an earthquake, and every chain was, was fell off, and every prison door was open, and none of them left. They all came running into that inner chamber because they wanted to see what was going on. See, you need to know. Come on. I'm glad you're there. You need to know. Your praise not only sets you free, your praise will set everybody around you free. Yes. You need to understand tonight. When you get your praise on, the devil has to flee. When you begin to declare the praises of the Lord, people, their chains fall at their feet. Paul said in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, verse 2, we need to set our eyes. Come on, set your eyes on things above, not on things below. What Paul was trying to tell us, is man, begin to praise the Lord. When you pray, your praise is a weapon. The enemy comes against you. The enemy comes and he says, I got you this time. I'm going to make it so bad. You're going to get depressed. You're going to get defeated. You're going to give in to fear. You're going to give in to doubt. And when you do that, then I got you right where I want you. 
And when he does that, and you start to praise God, oh, the devil goes, what's that? What's that? Man, I threw depression at them, and they swatted it out of the air with some hallelujah, praise be the Lord. Listen, there's a new chapter coming for you. There's a new chapter for this church. There's a new chapter for each and every one of you. And you know what's going to unlock that chapter? You know what's going to get you out of the chapter you're in faster than anything? Praising the Lord through every situation. I got one more point, and then we're going to praise the Lord. And we're going to watch some chains fall off some folk. And we're going to see some people set free and delivered. And we're going to see some pages flip to a new chapter. But I got one more point. Oh, if you could see what I see right now. Listen. I preach it the way I believe it, the way I live it, the way the Lord gives it to me. It's not intended to be hype, but there's nothing wrong with hyping Jesus. There's nothing wrong with stirring people up. There's nothing wrong with encouraging one another. Come on. Good word. The Bible says in Psalm 23 that he prepares a place, a table, a feast in the presence of mine enemies. You know why too many, you know, you want to know why so many people are still in the pit? They're still stuck in that bad chapter in their life. They're, they can't seem to get out of that bad chapter. In fact, they seem to be living that chapter over and over and over again. And God's just waiting on them to get their mind right. It's because they're focusing on the enemy instead of focusing on the feast. God has set before us a table. He's prepared a feast. He's prepared the abundant life. He's given us something to shout about, to get a little praise, to get a little, a little step in you. But it's up to you. It's up to you. You want to get out of the chapter you're stuck in? Praise Him. You want to, you want to send the enemy routed and running and fleeing? Praise Him. Thank Him for the feast. Thank him for the abundance. Now you can now you can go wherever you want to go with this. Come on, come on, we're gonna go somewhere. Here's here's what we do. Just have a seat, real quick. We want to sing. A, we're gonna sing a uh, look what the Lord has done. We're just gonna turn it loose. Come on, let's bless the man of God quickly. Ushers, quickly help us, please. Let's bless him. Mm, yeah. word. Come on, somebody say praise God. Come on, I just turn the page. Come on, Jesus. Turn, make a new chapter. Amen. Come on, just lick your finger. Turn the chapter. Amen. You're making out a check. Make it out to Casey. We'll send him on with one check. Pastor Barry. Hey. So blessed. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. One more thing. Your praise prophesies where you're headed. 
get that word. When they brought Joseph out of the prison, because somebody had said, I know a guy who can interpret dreams. And they brought Joseph out of the prison. He was still in his prison clothes. But they came and got him. And they gave him a bath and shaved him and cleaned him up and put on fresh garments. And he, he walked into the very presence of Pharaoh. When you put on that garment of praise, when you begin to praise in spite of the circumstances, when you begin to declare the goodness of God, when all around you, you don't, nobody else can see it, you are prophesying where you are headed. Come on, put the buckets right here. We're going to give God a crazy praise. And when we do, you just come up with your offering in just a second. You know what I think Paul and Silas said when we were in that prison? After all those chains blew off and all the doors opened up and everybody got set free, I think they said, look what the Lord has done. Come on, I think they said, look what the Lord has done. Father, bless the Haggerty's. Move in power, God, as we bring our offering, as we worship you. God, turn the chapter and do what you do in Jesus' name. Come on, brother. Look what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just what the Lord has done. Look what the Lord has done. Everybody, look what the Lord has done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Oh, I'm going to praise His name. I'll never be the same. Come on and praise Him. Look what the Lord has done.
telling you this. I was here when they came in. They were not in ministry. They were broken, hurting. And God breathed breath of life in them. What an amazing anointing upon this family. I stand in awe. Half the story's yet been told you a young man. fire burn up from the south and I'll meet you in the middle, all right? He's bringing the people. He's bringing the provision. He's, bring, he's, he's brought the anointing, which is going to grow. He's bringing you the people and he's bringing you the money. The three things that you need for your vision, the orphans, all of that. The people, finances, the anointing. It's all, it's all for you. It's on the way. It's, it's packaged in unique ways and it's coming. It's coming to you. Father, we thank and praise you for what you've done tonight. Lord, bless your people now. Bless your people, God. Cause your face to shine upon them. Lift up your countenance towards them, Lord. Be gracious to us. Keep us. And give us peace. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Go with God. Go into the harvest field. Come on, reach the lost. Wednesday night, revival continues. I'll be preaching.